the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to spend some time looking at the lighter side of the news. We're looking forward to that. We're also going to share our interview of the week with Carol Kent, co-author of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. So we're glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering. And uh, we're just going to step right in with a few of the day's headlines. Well, President Trump on Thursday announced his plan to eventually roll back social distancing measures and reopen the nation's economy in several phases, depending on location, with the coronavirus pandemic. Well, the plan calls for three phases of reopening based on the severity of the outbreak in each individual state or region. We can begin the next front in our war, which we are calling opening up America again, the president said during a White House news briefing. To preserve the health of Americans, we must preserve the health of our economy. Well, the plan, which Trump announced along with the formation of a bipartisan council of lawmakers from both chambers of Congress, outlines recommendations for governors to develop their own plans to reopen. It also includes criteria that must be met regarding numbers of infections and hospitalizations before areas can open up. Other related developments, the stock futures uh, signaled Friday with a rally on the heels of the promising coronavirus treatment and talks about reopening the U.S. The uh, stock futures uh, following the president's announcement of his plan to roll back social distancing measures and open the nation back up in stages signaled a strong start on Friday's session, adding to the momentum seen on Thursday. Well, the Dow Jones Industrial Averages are up more than 700 points, or 3.1%, while the S&P 500 was higher by nearly 3%, and the NASDAQ Composite 2% as of 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In addition to the president's announcement Thursday, there was also positive news uh, on Gilead scientists as its drug Remdesivir, I'm sure it's pronounced differently, but you get the idea. According to the statenews.com, the drug and antiviral medicine used as a potential treatment treating COVID-19 patients. A recent uh, clinical trial of the drug found rapid recoveries in coronavirus patients' fever and symptoms. Also, Larry Kudlow has admitted the second quarter will be pretty awful, predicting, um, well, May will be a transition month. And the FBI says state hackers have broken into U.S. coronavirus research. Foreign government hackers have broken into these um, companies uh, conducting research into COVID-19 treatment and the U.S. healthcare sector. An FBI official reportedly said uh, the FBI deputy assistant director told participants in an online panel discussion on Thursday that the Bureau has seen state-backed hackers looking at a series of healthcare and research institutions. She didn't specify what countries uh, backed the hackers or what organizations were targeted. Well, drug maker shares are soaring as clinical trials show 
um, that there are some drugs helping coronavirus patients. One particular trial I mentioned a moment ago, uh, conducted by the University of Chicago Medicine, found nearly all patients who were given daily infusions were discharged from the hospital in less than a week. The university recruited 125 coronavirus patients, 113 of which uh, had severe disease into two clinical trials to assess five- and ten-day treatment courses of the drug and a group of uh, see if they can sniff out the coronavirus. CNN published 700 articles on uh, Kavanaugh's accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, beginning as soon as her story came out. For Joe Biden, accuser terror strict ban, much less enabling the feeding frenzy they created regarding Kavanaugh. The media continues to steer clear of the Biden sexual abuse allegations. The media neglect to ask Biden about the accusations, but about it. Meanwhile, the New York Times examines Biden's inability to gain momentum online, where Trump is apparently king. And Jake Tapper points out that Trump, 106 million combined followers on Facebook and Twitter, Biden, 6.7. Mrs. Pelosi has been uh, saying uh, far and wide that President Trump is responsible for the COVID-19 death toll because he didn't act quickly enough to stop it. The longer Democrats refuse to provide financing for small business after government cut off their revenue, the more Americans will have in, uh, every right to conclude that Mrs. Pelosi and Mr. Schumer are responsible for the worsening economic destruction. So writes the Wall Street Journal. Democrats continue to stop paycheck protection, the program. Steve Scalise points out that real hardworking Americans are the ones paying the price of Democrats' completely partisan obstruction of the paycheck protection program funding. American workers and businesses can't afford more of their petty Washington games. And Governor Gretchen Whitmer has admitted they're cracking down on people planting or landscaping. In the hot air story, there's a video of the governor saying snow would have stopped them anyway. Well, it hasn't. Republicans in the state are seeking to limit her emergency powers. As Whitmer denies gardeners their seeds, other stores are finding sales are skyrocketing. Meanwhile, one story says the more empty streets are causing higher speeds, uh, but a reporter posted a picture of a crowded freeway and uh, said this, current status on the 10 East heading to downtown L.A., way worse than yesterday. It seems the stay-at-home order is a paper tiger at this point. People are over it, and patience is at an all-time low. Local officials are losing control of their messaging. Representative Jim Jordan says that Democrats are seeking to give states money to release prisoners. He said first Democrats wanted money for the, the Kennedy Center to combat coronavirus. Then Democrats refused to authorize more funding for the popular Paycheck Protection Program, which allows small businesses to keep their doors open during this crisis. And now House Democrats think they can give states federal grant money funded by American taxpayers to free prisoners and defeat the coronavirus. The logic there is just amazing. Why are Democrats putting funding forward to free prisoners but not small businesses? End quote. And the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, will be released due to the coronavirus, the New York Post is reporting. Well, judges have the right to take kids from frontline COVID-19 workers. That's what one lawyer is now saying. The judge can do that. They have wide discretion and latitude to make these decisions. The judge in this case indicated that he did not make this decision lightly. He appreciates the efforts and the bravery the doctor is showing by uh, being on the front lines, but felt it was the best interest of the child for him or her to be protected during this temporary time. Well, this is a case in which a doctor has had her son or daughter, and I'm not sure which, removed from the household because she is exposed to COVID-19 and her ex wants to protect the child.
Well, China's first quarter, apparently, first quarter GDP has collapsed, as one might expect from the story. The country's gross domestic product plunged 6.8% from the year earlier period, the National Bureau of Statistics says. The median forecast of 15 economists polled by the Wall Street Journal predicted a year-over-year decline of 8.3%. And the Alliance Defending Freedom has filed suit to challenge Chattanooga. It's a ban on drive-in church services. On April 9th, Burke posted a message aimed at churches on the city's website and on the official Facebook page regarding the order, stating that drive-in services, even in their cars with the windows rolled up for any length of time, will be considered a violation of the shelter-in-place directive. Neither the mayor nor the city has been willing to back off on the amended directive, despite the U.S. Department of Justice strong concern over the overreaching bans, as expressed in a statement of interest that the agency filed in a similar ADF case in Mississippi. And the new notice, uh, Facebook is shaming users based on fact-checking coming from the World Health Organization. The new notice will be sent to users who have clicked on, reacted to, or commented on posts featuring harmful or false claims about COVID-19 after they've been removed by moderators. The alert, which uh, will start appearing on Facebook in the coming weeks, will direct users to a site where the World Health Organization lists and debunks virus myths and rumors. This is the same discredited World Health Organization at the start of this particular pandemic. And on this day in history, 2018, Barbara Bush, first lady and wife of President George Herbert Walker Bush and mother of President George W. Bush and Florida Governor Jeb Bush dies in Houston at the age of 92. 19, or rather 1492, a contract is signed by Christopher Columbus and a representative of Spain's King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella giving Columbus a commission to seek a westward ocean passage to Asia. 1521, Martin Luther goes before the Diet of Worms to face charges stemming from his religious writings, the 99 Theses. 1924, the motion picture studio Metro-Golden-Mare is founded as a result of a merger of Metro Pictures, Golden Pictures, and Louis B. Mayer. 1937, Daffy Duck makes his debut in the Warner Brothers uh, animated cartoon Porky's Duck Hunt, directed by Tex Avery. And in 1961, some 1,500 CIA-trained Cuban exiles launched the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba in an attempt to topple Fidel Castro, whose forces would crush the uh, incursion by the end of the day. 1964, Ford Motor Company unveils the Mustang the New York, uh, World, at the New York World Fair. 1964, the first game is played at New York's Shea Stadium. The Pittsburgh Pirates defeat the Mets 4-3. 1969, a jury in Los Angeles convicts Sirhan Sirhan of assassinating Senator Robert Kennedy. And finally, 1970, Apollo 13 astronauts James Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert, they splash down safely in the Pacific four days after ruptured oxygen tanks crippled their spacecraft while en route to the moon. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. We're going to take a look at the lighter side of the nude, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And for the next several segments, we're going to focus on the lighter side of the news. Also, in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll give you an update on the day's headlines and share our interview of the week with Carol Kent, co-author of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. Well, this last weekend, of course, was um, Resurrection Sunday, and it is a somber occasion, although it is celebratory. But for one British vicar, he got more than he expected from his first attempt at an online sermon when he leaned too close to a candle on the cross that he had with the 
candles. I can't think of what you call them, the Lenten candles. Anyway, and his sweater caught fire. Vicar Stephen Beach of St. Bordeaux, uh, he's, it's a parish church, reacted to his sweater catching fire while delivering a video sermon amid the coronavirus pandemic that left us all in quarantine. Uh, he was in Plymouth, Britain on the, the 19th, and the image from the video obtained via social media, he's rather surprised to learn as the flames rise up on his, his shoulder, left shoulder. <laughs> well, he, um, he says that it's a great thing to pause in the presence of God and to ask the question, Lord, what are you saying to us? Uh, he said, warming to the theme. And then, of course, to wait for an answer. I've just been pausing because these, he continues, before realizing his left shoulder has moved too close to the flame. Oh, dear, I just caught fire, he says, <laughs> during the sermon, battling um, with the flames, batting at his shoulder, blowing out the flames. Oh, my word, he is heard saying. Well, video sermons are part of the Plymouth Church's response to the virus, as is the case for most of us. But this one was a bit more... Um, fiery than was expected. Now, British vicars don't generally uh, deliver fiery sermons, but for this one in particular, it was just that way. Now, joining me today is James Blind, uh, who is the producer of today's program. James, what do you think about uh, a British vicar delivering a fiery sermon uh, while in the uh, pandemic? Well, I mean, you know, I think the only thing missing was brimstone, really, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> Well, we don't know what else he had in his apartment. But, oh, that's you know. that's true. You, you don't get the. Yeah. I've seen the footage. You don't actually see, you know, much outside of the frame of the uh, close-up, if you will. That was basically him and the said offending candle. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it certainly was a uh, enlightening conversation. Absolutely. You know, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as as fire, and he had a demonstration right there during her sermon. So it had to be riveting for his uh, parishioners. You know, most of us are, in fact, earlier today I had a Zoom conference uh, for the KPVQ and Fish um, podcast, Life Inspired, and, uh, you know, it's it's very common now for people to have meetings throughout the day using these platforms where you can see one another. Well, apparently there's a, a need for some etiquette because people don't really know what the limitations ought to be when engaged in these calls. Cats, PJs, alien eyes are unwelcome. Um, at these work videos uh, calling um, Zoom, and that's prompting a new etiquette that's being called out. Um, a data architecture uh, consultant in Oakland, California, missed a memo from his company last week requiring employees to use video conferencing for all media, uh, meetings rather, while working from home. He wasn't showered, he wasn't shaved, he was dressed, fortunately, and his cat was on top of him. Uh, he later saw new rules sent out in a memo banning pets at the virtual meetings. <laughs> uh, with a large swath of employees, just like us all across the United States, working from home to help contain the spread of the virus, there's some companies that are encouraging or even requiring employees to go on camera. It's a way to stay connected, a way for some uh, to make sure that employees are at least uh, looking like they're focused at work. One Google software developer who helped develop the technology uh, standard for web video chat, said on Twitter on Monday that it would be um, the biggest day for the video conferencing in the history of Earth by a long shot. And, of course, that's uh, been the biggest season. But the boom is catching some off guard as they grapple with etiquette. Um, there are some students who are now in Zoom calls. They don't quite know how to dress, what to do or say, what to have present in the video, and it's something of a distraction. 
Now, I don't know if you've done any Zoom calls during this season or not, James, but this is got, getting to be something of a, a phenomenon, if you will. Yeah, we, we uh, um, at the station, we have several a week that, uh, that I participate in. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully, I think everybody kind of has, it's not a, uh, I don't think it's a particularly casual or formal in thing, but I, I think everybody takes the conversation seriously, but there are things that some of my coworkers may like to have a little more fun with than they would perhaps at the office. Yeah. And it depends on the nature, of course, of the call. I'm doing Bible study fellowship, finishing out the year. Um, we're, we're doing occasional things on, uh, online. So etiquette is apparently called for. You know, it, it, the, 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 the thing I think everybody gets the, the temptation to experiment with on Zoom is you can customize your background uh, and make it look yes. like you're in different places. And uh, <laughs> that has become a thing in our in some of our conference calls lately where uh, um, there were a couple people who appeared to be at a tropical beach in our last uh, meeting. And uh, <laughs> they very much were not. They were quarantined away. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, illusion was certainly that of, uh, being on a tropical island. Meanwhile, I was, <laughs> I, I personally was sitting in the middle of, uh, uh the living room from Seinfeld. So <laughs> well, there you go. Well, animal sanctuaries are now letting people add llamas and goats to their zoom calls. I'm not sure what the benefit would, uh, would be, but this is out of the Silicon Valley. It's known as sweet farm and they're letting people add these animals. Um, I mentioned llamas and goats, but there are apparently others to their conference calls and video meetings uh, for a small fee. So if you want to pay for it, you can get uh, live animals. The service called goat to meeting with a number two goat to meeting was launched last month and it's fielded some 300 requests for animal appearances at various virtual events. Uh, Goat to meeting is another example of how some companies are adapting to the new reality that's created by our quarantine. Goat to meeting. So I think even an image of a live animal in one of these calls would probably be too much for me. So just letting you know, James, don't try it. Uh, You know, I I don't think I I am sure. I mean, not my our coworkers are pretty good folks and I, I love all of them, but I'm sure it's for some businesses Having a goat in the meeting is probably an improvement. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. While the respiratory therapist sparked a new trend among healthcare workers, they're looking to cheer up their patients with the coronavirus crisis by taping a laminated smile uh, of themselves. It's a photo of themselves uh, on their personal protective equipment. So when you see the mask, instead of just seeing the mask, you see an image of the person behind the mask smiling. Well, Mr. Robertino Rodriguez, who works at uh, Scripps Mercy Hospital in San Diego, posted a photo of himself to Instagram. He got about 35,000 likes in what he's calling the Share Your Smile movement. Yesterday, I felt bad for my patients in ER when I would come into the room with my face covered with PP and E. Um, He said a uh, reassuring smile makes a big difference uh, to a sacred patient. Uh, so today I made a giant laminated badge for my PP&E so my patients can see a reassuring and comforting smile. So creativity and kindness all rolled into one all across the uh, the country. There's a group of men in Florida. They're on a special mission to help foster families, many of whom are struggling mightily under these current circumstances. It's just a way to bless them and serve them a nice hot meal, says Jeff Ford. He's one of the Uh, The men, we believe that foster parents are unsung heroes because they are taking in these kids. The group of 60 men 
have been volunteering and asking others to join them. We just think that Jesus wants us to act and not just talk. So that's what we're doing out here in the community. We're acting on behalf of these kids. We're acting on behalf of their foster parents. Well, PDQ is a fast food chicken restaurant. Uh, They've been giving discounts to Man Up Tampa Bay to help with the effort. The kids deserve better, and that's what we're trying to do um, to make their lives a little bit better. And so these, uh, this group of men are delivering meals to foster families and assuring these kids that they have value, that they are seen, and that they matter. So what a cool thing for a group of men, Christian men, to do uh, during this time. Well, I hate to mention it, but there is a hidden crisis going on, an underlying crisis in this whole COVID-19 pandemic. And it's the hidden personal grooming crisis. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. We'll we'll tell you about it. Some of you don't need to be told because you are already in the midst of it. Um, It's a challenge that most of us don't want to talk about because we don't want to be seen without proper grooming. We'll tell you more about that when we come back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. James Blend, he's in on the game as well. I mentioned earlier that there is a hidden crisis. It is the hidden personal grooming crisis. It's not pretty, but it's true. The first victim of the coronavirus has been personal grooming with hairdressers, nail bars, beauty therapists shuttered by lockdowns. And I know this has particularly affected you, James. Many people around the world are in danger of letting themselves go because I know you haven't seen your hairdresser, you haven't been to a nail bar, and your beauty therapist is in lockdown. Well, that's the fear of stylists and colorists worried about having to salvage something from the havoc wreaked on eyebrows and hair by DIY plucking, waxing, dyeing, and cutting. Have you been doing any of that, James? Plucking, uh, no. waxing, no, you know, dying, cutting. No, no, not quite yet. No, not quite there yet. Well, they say don't touch your eyebrows above all. That's a plea from one of the creative directors at the French cosmetic brand Guerlain. Guerlain. It's some French thing. I'm trying to sound French. Let them grow. Um, leave them there said uh, the man who once looked after makeup for screen legends Aubrey Hepburn and Sophia Loren. And you certainly want to follow Audrey Hepburn and Sophia Loren. Feel free to experiment with makeup, uh, he goes on to say, because if it uh, doesn't work, you can just take the tissue and start again. But anything with hair is a lot more risky. Let the bangs grow. Don't try to cut them yourself like the governor of Oregon did. Professionals are also genuinely worried and tell, uh, tell us that They're bracing themselves for the plethora of complex color correction appointments when they finally reopen. So be careful tackling those um, graying roots with a beetroot recipe picked up on Facebook. Demand for some brands of hair color shot up six times in Britain before the um, after the first week of the lockdown because people were just in a panic because they weren't going to look their best for whom I don't know because we can't go anywhere. But there is a hidden personal grooming crisis. And uh, I just wanted to mention it because if you are in the midst of it, we see you. Well, we don't see you, thankfully. We know you're there. We acknowledge there's a crisis and it will one day be over. Now, there may be some lag time between when we are allowed to once again come together in groups and you can actually have something done about your crisis. But we're all in the same boat. We'll all look bad. All of our nails will be raggedy. 
and our hair will look awful. So it's a crisis, but it's a shared crisis, and we can bear the burden together. I wish we could lock arms, James, and just solidarity um, to acknowledge that, you know, these are the best of times and these are the worst of times when it comes to grooming. Are you with me? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talked in the previous segment about Zoom meetings, and it's kind of funny because uh, Zoom meetings are really one of the few times apart from, uh, you know, in, in, briefly in mirrors throughout the day where I actually have to see myself. Um, and um, <laughs> so I have just, it's really kind of been my accountability system, especially on our meeting day, which we all have, we seem to have our meetings Centra- centrally located on one day a week, but um, I, I found myself during a meeting just kind of very subtly just kind of going, oh, I got a couple hairs sticking up. That's not good. <laughs> just kind of making, you know, just general what looked like hand gestures, but I'm really kind of trying to fix my hair just a little bit and go, <laughs> it's getting a little bit longer than I normally like it, but, you know, it's also for a lot of a lot of guys, uh, the... Um, it's causing a run like with Amazon and stuff on uh, head shavers, head trimmers. You yeah, know, and, yeah. Uh, I've seen a couple people uh, live, you know, because everybody's bored, so they're Facebook living their haircuts <laughs> at home and stuff. And there are a couple, a- there are a couple, including uh, two Christian music singers. I'm like, oh, this could end in divorce. <laughs> it was, it was, it was free, it was and bad. I like you could have charged to make me watch this because this was, <laughs> this was like sitcom level material. Uh, I have a little friend. He's just, I, I don't remember how, my five or six, some, somewhere around there. And his mom decided, or no, his dad decided to, to cut his hair. And he did such a terrible job. They had to buzz cut. And the mom cried for hours because he had this beautiful hair. <laughs> now it's just completely buzz cut. I thought it was hilarious. But, um, you know, as I said, it's a crisis. But, you know, when we think about our own crises, our own grooming and how we look or, you know, don't look, it's not just extended to those of us who walk on um, on our two feet. Um, dogs and other animals who require grooming are also humiliated by efforts to, well, endure the do-it-yourself outcome. One Hermione Olivia tried to give her pup a much-needed trim herself after pet grooming salons closed as a result of COVID-19, and the results were hilarious. Now, when the lockdown was put in place, all non-essential businesses like pubs and restaurants, hairdressers were made to close. We all know one woman discovered just how hard it is to do these things at home recently when she decided to have to go uh, have a go rather at giving her dog a haircut. And it's fair to say it didn't go well. In fact, you wouldn't recognize the dog in the before or after pictures. Uh, Hermione, she snapped a picture of her dog before and after she started snipping and shared it on Instagram. I'm sure the dog was humiliated. Take it from MASH and wait until the professionals are back, she says. Well, the first picture shows her adorable Pomeranian, looked like a little fluffy, uh, cute little dog. She purchased a pair of uh, dog clippers after her local grooming salon closed. And clearly she thought that grooming her dog wouldn't be that hard, but it didn't go exactly as planned. Um it ended uh, looking somewhat like a kangaroo or, as one follower suggested, an Easter bunny with a lopsided haircut, revealing the dog's pointy ears. Uh, one of her followers commented, you're still beautiful. And some other comments I won't go into. Another wrote, oh, no, 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 no. This is a horror movie unfolding before my eyes. Well, the dog was humiliated. Um, and it just goes to show you that while we are suffering uh, this pandemic and we're suffering the shelter in place order, and trying to come up with things to do, and our grooming is going uh, by the wayside. Some animals are in doing uh, what might be considered abuse under other circumstances, and this little 
Pomeranian who started out looking quite cute, whose hair looked just fine, uh, ended up looking quite shabby and ridiculous by the time it was uh, was over. So, James, promise me you won't let your uh, your five-year-old cut your hair. Uh, no, I definitely won't let my five-year-old cut my hair, and I also am smart enough to not let her uh, have her hair cut by me. <laughs> yeah, but it goes both ways. I mean, like and, she's, and she's kind of on that precipice, too, because, to, I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, she had, for several weeks, uh, a um, hair-cutting appointment scheduled for the same day that they uh, put us in shelter in place. So, of uh. course, the, ha- the haircut got canceled. She is dealing with you know, significant split ends, and we're having to brush her hair quite a bit because it's getting tangled and matted and whatnot just uh just from existing basically it feels like <laughs> so it's it's not a it's not a fun time for her i think she's really growing to hate the sight of a brush but um so she'll be the first priority out of this house once uh once the doors to um hairstylists return <laughs> uh, she will be our first uh our first offering if you will yeah well you know clips hair bands braids We've been doing all of those. Yeah. Hey, Taiwan, I know you're a big baseball fan. Taiwan launched its baseball season with mannequins and cardboard cutouts, cutouts rather, as fans wearing face masks after spectators were banned from attending games during the coronavirus pandemic. What do you think? You know, it's it's kind of funny. uh, As a sports fan, and specifically a baseball fan, most of all, um, you know, feeling the the loss of the the sport here in the early portions of the spring have kind of been affecting me. I, um, and I'm aw- certainly aware of what they're doing in Taiwan, and I think it's cool um, that they're able to move forward. I've actually been watching a lot of Korean baseball. Um, there you go. Since they offer it free on YouTube, and they're playing their games, they're playing against each other. Those teams are splitting in half and playing against each other because that's what their quarantine laws will allow at the moment in South Korea. Oh, playing um, themselves. Yeah, so they're playing what they call split squad or intra-squad games. Um, and they're on, usually on YouTube live about about 10 o'clock at night our time. And huh, so it's kind of like everybody else has gone to bed, I sit down and I watch a baseball game. Uh, <laughs> a I don't understand game. a thing they're saying, but it's kind of one of those things. It's almost like an escape from the situation we're in. And I, it's, it, I think that's part of why people are so clamoring, please find a way to get sports back somehow, yeah. some way. Uh, give us but, something uh, to watch. Give us something to watch be, besides, uh, you know, 10-year-old uh, episodes of Family Feud. <laughs> you know, Russia, they may have, uh, have an answer to that. Uh, Russian theater is performing for one spectator at a time. Usually it's the artist for whom a solo is the ultimate prize. Now it is the audience. Uh, starting this month, Russia, per, uh, I think it's Russia's Perm Opera and Ballet Theater will stream its performances online and allow just one spectator in the theater to watch in person. So maybe that's the uh, that's the direction we ought to go. Just you know, one spectator at the game, and the rest of us can watch it uh, remotely. Well, there you go. At least the game's being played. I'll 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 gladly give up that chair to anybody who wants it. Just put the game <laughs> on TV. That's all that matters yeah. to me. There's something to be said for performing for an audience, whether it's an athletic uh, performance or drama or music. So it's it's got to be tough for the well uh, the uh, players as what as much as for the spectators. The ones I really give a lot of credit to, I've seen a lot on the on Facebook and on the various different streaming services. You know the the you know whether it be Instagram or whatnot. Uh, the the uh, there are a lot of comedians doing stand up, and that is so yeah. audience dependent. Yeah, that's a lot of courage right there. I mean, even more so than <laughs> than a play where at least you can play off your fellow players. 
Uh, I mean, you're just on that stage and nobody's laughing because there's nobody there. Yeah, there's no laugh track. Hey, we need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. So stay with us. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll uh, refresh headline news and also share our interview of the week with Carol Kent, co-author of Staying Power. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. I say we because James Blind is also joining me. Well, a lot of Twitter users are sharing their baking fails during this quarantine. You know, you think, if I only had more time, I would like to do fill in the blank. Well, a lot of people fill that blank in with baking. <laughs> but along with those attempts come, well, apparently failures, unlike flour, there's no shortage of baking fails during quarantine. Well, baking, seemingly everyone's favorite quarantine pastime, has set social media on fire with beautiful breads, cookies, and other breads. Let's face it, it's mostly bread. However, with its rise in popularity, there is, uh, there are inevitably bound to be some baking blunders. And now those failed kitchen experiments are getting their time in the spotlight, and they're actually pretty comical. The trend seemingly kicked off when writer Hind Amri shared a photo of the world's most failed banana bread attempt, tagging the photo with a hashtag reading, hashtag my shame, uh, with an alleged texture similar to wet Play-Doh, but d- d- banana flavored and explicitly sour. The bread looks better than it tastes, she uh, claimed on Twitter. Her fails were uh, met with horror, mocking, and a profound solidarity among other bakers and their similarly botched baking attempts. Maybe before jumping into the banana bread, start with something more simple, like um, you name what's something more simple than banana bread. But it's kind of fun. You have the uh, time and opportunity to try baking and maybe not the skill uh, to do so. And that was the case. Uh, And we're seeing lots of those now online. Well, in Belgium, they're making waffles that may be about to become more environmentally friendly. Scientists at the Ghent University in Belgium are experimenting with larva fat to replace butter in waffles. Larva fat to replace butter in waffles, cakes, and cookies, saying uh, using grease from insects is more sustainable than dairy produce. I don't know why grease from any other source sounds fine to me, but insect larva or the fat from insects just somehow doesn't quite do it for me. Your thoughts, James? You know, I, I, it's one of those things. I, I, I just didn't know larva could have, um, you know, extra weight they need to trim off, so to speak, uh, <laughs> such as to say larva fat. I mean, does that mean larva workout videos are coming out next? But, I don't know. Uh, it just, the, just the thought of actually consuming such a thing, yeah, hard pass. Well, the researchers soak black soldier fly larva in a bowl of water, oh. put it in a blender to create a smooth grayish dollop, and then use a kitchen centrifuge to separate other insect butter. Ugh. Other insect um, butter. Yeah. There are several positive things about using insect ingredients, says one of the researchers uh, who oversees the project. They're more sustainable because insects use less land than cattle. They're more uh, efficient at converting feed and They also use less water to produce butter. Well, according to the researchers, consumers notice no difference when a quarter of the uh, milk butter in a cake is replaced with larva fat. However, they report an unusual taste when it gets to 50 and say they would not want to buy the cake. So depending on the ratio, it's either acceptable, unnoticeable, or 
detestable. Insect foods uh, have high levels of proteins, vitamins, fibers, and minerals, and scientists uh, elsewhere in England, they're looking at it as a more environmentally friendly and cheap alternative to other types of animal products. No, thank you. I think yeah. I'll pass. You know, the, the the question has to be, I mean, you know, first of all, the um, what what level of boredom, and, and I guess maybe we're getting to this now in the quarantine to an extent, what level of boredom does somebody have to think to themselves, I wonder what would happen if I chopped up a bunch of bugs and spread them on a piece of bread? <laughs> I mean, what, what, you know, what trail does, what bizarre rabbit trail does the human mind have to go down for that to be something of a, you know, a, of a ponderance in anyone's mind. <laughs> well, you know. you know, bugs are part of the diet of a lot of the world's population, so it's unusual to us and unacceptable, but who knows, we may end up eating bugs. I mean, the other, the other side of it is these other insect parts. I, I still remember a couple of years ago, I think they've since changed this, but I'm not sure, but uh, when you get a can of fruit juice, it would say, you know, say grape juice, it will say hey, grape juice, apple juice, and other juices. And I always wanted to know what what's an other? What what fruit is other? Because I, I kind of want to know what I'm drinking there. So I'm just as concerned about other juices as I would be. You know, contains fly parts and other insects. Mmm, mm, other. Well, a, a chef in Hanoi is spreading joy with what he's calling the Corona Burger. You've got to eat it to beat it. That's the philosophy of one Hanoi chef who is attempting to boost morale in the Vietnamese capital by selling green coronavirus-themed burgers. Laughing in the face of a global pandemic, Chef uh, Tung and his team now spend their days molding dozens of green tea-stained uh, burger buns, complete with little crowns made of dough to resemble microscopic images of the virus. We have this joke that if you are scared of something, you should eat it, Tung says. And I guess this is the w their way of going about that. That's why the coronavirus isn't scary anymore after you eat the burger in the shape of the virus itself. That's why uh, that way the th of thinking spreads joy to others during this pandemic. So um, I don't know. The shop has sold around 50 burgers a day, despite the growing numbers of businesses in Vietnam, which have been forced to close because of the virus. So coronavirus, that's one way to get over the fear, apparently, is by eating a burger named after it, and made to look like it. Okay. Well, speaking of things that are made to look like things that we either want or don't want, there's a new novelty that's springing up. In fact, I know that our boss's daughter, who is a baker, is doing the very same thing. Novelty toilet roll cakes are keeping Finnish bakers in business. Cakes that look exactly like rolls of toilet paper um, are apparently the thing. A quick-thinking Helsinki bakery and one right <laughs> in three locations in the Portland area um, have saved its, themselves from financial ruin due to the new coronavirus pandemic by creating a cake that looks like a toilet roll. If you can't find it on the uh, store shelves, you can find it at the bakery. The dismayed staff at the uh, bakery found all their orders canceled last month at the same time as consumers began to hoard toilet rolls. So, uh, this sparked the idea of a toilet roll cake made out of um, oat batter, passion fruit mousse, and covered with uh, white fondant. Now, I have to tell you, the 
the uh, toilet roll cakes made at fat cupcakes looked a little better than that, and I'm guessing tastes a little better. But the first five cakes sold within an hour, according to one of the bakers. The cake has become a social media hit. Well, the bakery now has hundreds of orders, and its owner has uh, even been able to hire two extra people to her nine-member team. For us, it's a game-changer, and I'm relieved because I know all my employees are safe for months now. So if you want to support another baker, Fat Cupcakes is making (laughs) these toilet roll cakes as well. I'm not sure I'd want to, I don't know, bite into one, but I know their cakes, so it'd probably be pretty good. I would think so. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been uh, told all over the world that you need to shelter in place. One Italian woman uh, who took her pizza-sized turtle out for a walk has been fined 400 euros. That's about $440 by the Roman uh, police for breaking strict coronavirus confinement rules. I'm not so much struck by the charge, the fine that she's now facing, but the fact that she has a uh, turtle that's the size of a pizza and she takes it out for a walk. A a pizza-sized turtle. Now, Italians need a justifiable reason to be out on the street in the middle of a pandemic that has officially claimed the lives of 20,000, so it's a serious matter. Taking your dog out for a walk is viewed as a good enough reason to leave your home, but it seems taking your turtle out is not. The Roman police said the 60-year-old was caught outside her home without a justifiable reason. She was walking with a turtle. Turtles tend to uh, be rather independent and can walk themselves, apparently. Well, the other side of it is that's a very, very, very slow walk. It's a very slow walk, and it's a, uh, it's apparently a very, very, very big turtle. Try getting around them and being socially distant. You just can't do it. <laughs> or maybe that uh, provides sufficient space between you and whoever might be approaching because the turtle's so large they can't. Uh, get any closer than what social distancing requires. Who knows? Well, parts of Stonehenge bear a resemblance to ancient Lego, according to English Heritage, which oversees the famous site in southern England. Earlier this month, English Heritage Stonehenge tweeted a rare photo of the top of one of the famous stones. This is a rare um, view seen of the whole thing, and they say it looks very much like a Lego. It's a giant sarsen stone, that's what they're called, the protruding tenons, are um, clearing visible and corresponding horizontal lintel stone uh, would have um, had uh, kind of the way a Lego fits one inside the other. And because they had this rarely seen view of the, uh, of the whole thing, uh, they say what the Stonehenge is, is essentially a large ancient Lego that would have taken, who knows, hundreds of thousands of people to put into place and you'd only play it once, but you know, there you have it. Stonehenge, an ancient Lego set. We're going to take a quick break. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, we'll give you a refreshed look at the headlines, and we'll provide our interview of the week with Carol Kent. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. I want to give you a brief look at the uh, headline news. So Oregon's coronavirus uh, has been updated for the day, although I think it will probably be updated again before the day is out. Uh, Oregon has had 64 deaths due to the COVID-19, 1,736 cases of the uh, uh, virus, and 33,351 tests. The state of Washington, 583 tests have been, or, or rather deaths have occurred. 
with 671,424 cases, according to the latest numbers. Scientists at the Oregon State University are going to soon begin going door-to-door in Corvallis to test the community for COVID-19. The goal of that groundbreaking study is to determine the prevalence of COVID-19 in the community by taking samples from households throughout the, uh, the city. Well, yesterday it was reported that Oregon high school students won't receive letter grades for classes they took in the latter half of the academic year, but will instead be marked as passing their courses or earn an incomplete for the term. And the American Red Cross is asking COVID-19 survivors to donate convalescent plasma. Portland photographer has captured images of social distancing families throughout through their windows, which is an interesting uh, and sad kind of image of people trying to connect with one another uh, while at the same time maintaining what is a safe distance. And in the wake of widespread layoffs and furloughs, a coalition of seven independent healthcare clinics and groups across Oregon and Southwest Washington are pressing federal and state officials for help. They say Oregon Governor Kate Brown's moratorium on elective and non-urgent procedures is pushing them to the brink of permanent financial ruin. That's the challenge and that delicate balance that uh, so many are so desperately trying to reach. Meanwhile, a growing wave of rallies are taking place across the country. Protesters are demanding that state governments lift their orders, closing businesses and public places as, as soon as possible, even as officials urge caution to prevent a resurgence of coronavirus. These Americans say that they're suffering because of the economic shutdowns nationwide to reduce the spread of the virus, and they're antsy to resume working and going out in public as usual. Well, the movement, which started with demonstrations in North Carolina and Michigan, is now spread to New York, Ohio, Virginia, and Kentucky, with more protests slated for the coming days, even as federal and state officials are warning that rolling back virus mitigations efforts too soon will lead to even more coronavirus cases and set back the nation's response to the pandemic. Minnesota citizens, now is the time to demand Governor Waltz and our state legislatures in the lockdown. Those are the kinds of statements that began in Minnesota, but are continuing across the, uh, the, the nation. That event has 577 people saying that they will go and 2,600 indicating they are interested in attending as of Friday meetings with the uh, the governor there. Virginia joined in on the protest on Thursday with about 15 to 20 people amassing outside the state's capital, but they're just one example of what's happening across the country. People are frustrated as governors are attempting to coordinate their efforts to try to salvage what economic enthusiasm, economic uh, prosperity they can in the midst of a very challenging season. Well, we are certainly all in the same boat. We're facing this challenging season that has a dire consequence if we fail to get it right. And while we're sheltering in place, I want to remind you that there's a great uh, resource for you to view during this season that's being made available by Seven, uh, Salem Media Group. They're jumping into the movie business by streaming No Safe Spaces. As I've mentioned, it's a documentary about free speech from comedian Adam Carolla and nationally syndicated radio host Dennis Prager. And it was the 2019 top-earning political documentary. The message of the film is how free speech and tolerance is being blocked by intolerant forces who say they believe in free speech, except when it comes to someone they disagree with. I want to encourage you to check this um, this documentary out. I've had the opportunity to see it, and I, I plan to see it again because there's so much there. And you hear from voices on both sides of the political spectrum talking about the value of the First Amendment, which you may be surprised to learn not everyone um, embraces and believes should be upheld. 
No Safe Spaces is now available to watch for a limited time only at nosafespaces.com for $19.95. But for KPDQ listeners, use the discount code SAVE25 for a 25% discount. Again, that's nosafespaces.com and uh, the discount code SAVE25 for 25% off. I hope you'll uh, take advantage of the opportunity to do just that. Well, China raised Wuhan's coronavirus death toll by nearly 50% on Friday, following weeks of allegations that officials were underreporting its numbers. The cities where the coronavirus outbreak is believed to have originated is now reporting 3,869 deaths after uh, adding 1,290 uh, to its previously announced figures. The number of uh, total coronavirus cases in Wuhan also raised by 325 to 50,000. 333, accounting for about two-thirds of China's 82,000 reported cases. The change in numbers only compounds U.S. leaders' suspicion of a cover-up at a time when American intel work in the Asian country may be hindered following a purge of a U.S. network in recent years. Meanwhile, President Trump and some governors across the country have rolled out plans to reopen the U.S. economy, offering a glimmer of hope since the nation has been shuttered to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. The timeline remains elusive and will vary by state, but at least they're thinking ahead. Still, a growing wave of rallies are taking place across the country, protesters demanding state governors lift their orders, closing businesses and public places as soon as possible. U.S. Ambassador Kelly Kraft, she's the ambassador to the U.N., backed the president's decision to accusing the agency on Friday of lacking both the trust and transparency needed in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic. And the experimental COVID-19 treatment remdesivir, or something very like that, is showing promise in a Chicago clinical trial, according to health news site STAT. And Ford and GE have signed a $336 million contract with the federal government to build ventilators for the coronavirus fight. The Food and Drug Administration, in an attempt to quell Americans' fears that their food packaging may be contaminated, says there's no need to wipe down the food packaging after you've returned home. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin urged Americans who've not received their stimulus checks to make sure their direct deposit information has been shared with the Internal Revenue Service via the new Get My Payment tool, which allows people to provide their bank information in order to get the funds. And Republican South Dakota Governor Kirsten Noem hit back at critics who accused her of being too lax with her coronavirus response after there was an outbreak at a meat processing plant in that state. And a Texas woman whose husband died of the coronavirus filed a lawsuit against Princess Cruises, claiming that she and her spouse were allowed on board, even though the crew knew they'd be exposed, according to the new report. And COVID-19, the disease that has caused the coronavirus pandemic, is a respiratory illness that has symptoms that can include fatigue, a persistent cough, and fevers. However, researchers in Spain believe that they've uh, discovered another symptom lesions on the feet that look very much like bruises, something to uh, to consider. Well, U.S. stock futures are signaling a strong start on Friday's session earlier in the day, adding to the momentum seen on Thursday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average were up more than 700 points or three percentage points, while the S&P 500 was higher by nearly 3% and the Nasdaq Composite 2%. Early in the evening, President Trump outlined the early stage phase approach as part of the Opening Up America Again coronavirus comeback plan. And there was also positive news on Gilead scientists, the the drug I mentioned a moment ago, showing at least some promise. 
If you haven't received your um, stimulus check thus far, I want to remind you that over 800 million Americans will get the stimulus check um, by Wednesday, according to Mr. Mnuchin, as the IRS sent out more than 80 million economic impact payments by direct deposit during the first half of the week. An increasing number of Americans are experiencing issues with the process. Some people who are expecting to receive the money this week either didn't get it at all or didn't receive the $500 to qual- that um, qualifying dependent children entitled them to. In a statement, um, the Treasury Department official acknowledged the glitches, noting that it is actively looking into missing payments for some who have used H&R Block and TurboTax to file in the past. The agency is working on fixing the problem while urging people to check the Get My Payment link on its website, uh, which allows people to track their payments. Again, that's on the irs.gov website, Get My Payment. Overall, however, the same official noted that the program has overall been both expansive and successful. But when you're talking about that many people, that much money, and that many direct deposits or checks, there are going to be problems. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll share with you our interview of the week with Carol Kent, co-author of Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worse. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Glad to have you with us on The Georgine Rice Show. Well, life isn't perfect. I think we can all agree on that. And undoubtedly, every couple will experience, well, outside circumstances and stressors that can deteriorate and weaken the marriage, if uh, if not destroy the marriage. And whether it's a child's rebellion, infertility, chronic illness, or a financial tragedy, or maybe just sheltering in place, even couples who've been together for decades must be able to weather those storms. But how do you do it? Well, in their new book, Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worse, two longtime couples and authors, Carol and Jean Kent, Cindy and David Lambert, offer practical insights, real-life illustrations, and thought-provoking questions to help couples thrive in any situation. Their combined wisdom for facing some of life's most difficult issues enables them to offer guidance on a variety of topics. Well, the uh, Lamberts... Cindy and David, they've been influencing the Christian publishing world for decades, both as editors and as authors. Carol and Jean Kent are founders of Speak Up Ministries, which includes Speak Up Speaker Services, a Christian speakers bureau, Speak Up Conferences, equipping the next generation of speakers and writers, and Speak Up for Hope, a nonprofit organization that benefits inmates and their families. We are delighted to have with us Carol Kent to talk about staying power. Welcome, Carol. Thank you so much, Georgine. It is always a privilege to be on the air with you. Well, that's just what I was going to say. (laughs) Before we start, let me ask you, how are you faring with this new normal and uh, sheltering in place? You know, it has absolutely turned our worlds upside down in terms of what we do normally. At this time of year, we're usually traveling every weekend somewhere in the country for a retreat or a conference speaking engagement. And uh, suddenly, with everything put on pause due to COVID-19, we're home. And I think for a lot of marriages, that's happening right now as people are Mm -hmm. sheltering in and some of them are homeschooling or working from home or maybe being laid off. And so that puts stress on a marriage. So Gene and I are trying to help people build a stronger marriage when uh, all of that's happening seems to be pulling us apart or in too many different directions to uh, keep our heads on straight. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a very timely conversation. What <laughs> motivated you to take up this subject? Uh, you are two married couples. My husband and I were going to celebrate in exactly one month, save one day, our 38th wedding anniversary. What motivated you to take up this subject at this time? Well, the Lamberts um, are friends of ours, and we both had situations where we said, you know, we've had this um, situation where something came from the outside, not the inside of our marriage, Mm -hmm. that disrupted things and caused us to have to make new choices in order to have a happy married life. And in our case, many of your listeners know of our journey with our son, who um, was a married a previously married woman with two little girls, and he shot and killed the uh, wife, or I should say the husband of uh, his wife, and uh, he wound up getting convicted of murder, and he is serving a life without the possibility of parole sentence here in the state of Florida. And uh, we did an upheaval. We, this is our only child. Uh, we wanted to be able to visit our son, and so we moved to Florida because we could do what we do from any airport. But our lives were turned inside out. Yes. And uh, in the Lambert's case, our co-authors, they had a son who was drug addicted and had a little daughter, and they wound up raising their granddaughter. They were the grandparents, but they were raising the granddaughter. And as we were talking one day, we thought, you know, there are a whole lot of marriage books out there about the wrong choices we make, adultery, pornography, those kinds of things that are the bad choices that come from within a marriage that destroy it. But there are very few, if any, books out there about those outside things that happen to us, like uh, hitting a horrific financial challenge or raising an autistic or Down syndrome child. Or you might be in a situation where you you lose a child to death and uh, the way you and your spouse cope with it just is an upheaval to your marriage. Mm -hmm. And we just started to list all of the different ways those outside forces come in. It might be caring for aging parents, or it might be having children who come home and they're struggling with gender issues. And you think, how am I going to make my marriage stronger instead of allow these things, allowing these things to make us weaker? And uh, we began to write down what we felt would be helpful principles for couples who were reasonably happy, who had a a situation come in from the outside that tried to wreak havoc in their marriages. And so we really got excited about putting a book proposal together and writing about something that we felt would give hands-on help and hope to couples who are struggling, never realizing this book would come out in the middle of a Mm. global pandemic when couples can really be struggling. Absolutely. Once again, the book we're talking about is titled Staying Power, and the subtitle is uh, appropriately named Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. The book is published by Ravel and currently available. Now, for those who have been married for a length of time, as my husband and I have, um, this is obviously a helpful book. But for those who have yet to face an assault from the outside on their marriage relationship for newly married couples. Is this also a resource for them to anticipate challenges that may come? I think it's very helpful, Georgine. I think a whole lot of young people who are getting married today have watched so many marriages, including some of their parents' marriages, end in divorce. And as Christian couples, they want to be, make sure that they have a strong, firm foundation. 
And we built within this book exercises and questions that couples can do with each other to better understand the stressors in their marriages. Uh, what is it uh, that would be a trigger word that would really uh, not sit well with you from your spouse? What are those anger issues or unforgiveness issues that can give you a challenge? And so I believe this book would be extremely helpful, not only to individual couples working through it, but in small group studies for couples. And in these days of social distancing, studies can be done online with Zoom, and it's been exciting to see how creative God's people are as they learn how to connect and discuss with each other with still practicing the suggested social distancing. Yeah, yeah. Now, your first chapter is titled, We're in this together, dot, 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 or not. How important is it that you've made uh, a firm decision that you're going to remain together, that divorce isn't part of the vocabulary or uh, separating from one another isn't part of the, the plan if things don't go as planned? Well, that is such an important first step, Georgine, and we immediately go into some of the pre-decisions that we can Mm -hmm. make as a couple. Jean and I like to call those the non-negotiables. And the bottom line for us is even if he's getting on the last thread of my last nerve, which (laughs) does happen occasionally, even though he's a good husband, uh, the pre-decisions help you to start from a basis of knowing, okay, I know I love this man, I know he loves me, and I know even if he chose unwise words when uh, we were having a discussion or even if he disagrees with my expert opinion, can you believe that would ever happen with us? <laughs> uh, that the bottom line is that we do want this marriage to work. And so you begin to say, because I care for this person, and I know perhaps his tone was not what made me feel affirmed or loved, doesn't mean his heart toward me is negative or bad. And so I'm going to choose ahead of time to know he still loves me, and we are in this together, and we will figure out a way to make it work. And as we began to list some of those other predecisions, one of those was that I will request I will learn and honor and respect the advice of my spouse. Now, Georgine, you may not know that I am the firstborn of six preacher's kids. Do you know what that makes me? (laughs) Bossy. I am a bossy, controlling woman, and I am admitting that to all of your listeners today, which is hard. My face is red. But that means that it's, it's much easier for me to talk than it is to listen. And uh, sometimes my husband doesn't appreciate that. And so one of the things that we did was to figure out the, a way we can honor each other is with the predecision that when we are facing uh, a decision that needs to be made or we're talking about the future or maybe a situation that involves our children or maybe a financial decision that we will ask, actually ask for the advice of our spouse and we will listen and we'll, we will respect what that person has to say without jumping all over them with our own words and our own opinion. And uh, that has been a lesson, a uh, hard one by me, but it has been one that has been a great decision for my marriage. Oh, and, uh, and then I'd love to honor my husband with this one. Uh, one of my predecisions was I will serve my spouse sacrificially. 
And uh, I watched my husband do that for me. And, Georgine, when our son was first arrested, I felt like I could hardly breathe. When you have an only child who's been a stellar student and has always uh, made right choices, and suddenly this child, uh, due to his fears for his stepchildren, for their safety, shoots and kills their father, uh, that turned your life upside down. And that was certainly true in my life. I There were times when I felt like I couldn't even pick myself up off the floor, much less answer the door or respond as I normally did. And I'm used to being a multitasker. And uh, one of the the kindest things that Gene did for me was that he would make coffee for me every morning. And I am a coffee lover. And I know I'm talking to some who are right now. And he would bring me my first cup of coffee in bed in the morning And without words, he would put his hand on my arm, and on very special days, I would sometimes get a foot rub with that cup of coffee, and without words, he was saying, honey, we are in the most Mm -hmm. difficult challenge we have ever been in in our marriage. This is crisis level, and we could let it break us, or we can let it draw us together. And with that touch, he was saying, I love you. And no matter what happens, we will face this together. We will get through this. We will give our son the support he needs. We will love the victim's family and try to encourage them as well as our own family. And uh, we are in this together. Together. And, you know, that act of service touched me deeply, and it did increase our bond tremendously and kept us from lashing out at each other. We're talking about staying power, building a stronger marriage when life sends its worth. We need to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation with Carol Kent. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Carol Kent. She, along with her husband, Gene, and Cindy and David Lambert, co-authored Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. These, these are the things that assault marriage from the outside but have the potential to devastate a commitment that has been made. And it's such a timely and unique book because it deals with those things um, that we don't anticipate and that we're not directly uh, responsible for. You also write about um, uh, making the next right choice. What do you mean by that when we are uh, assaulted by uh, some outside influence that threatens our marriage relationship? Well, so many times when we are feeling emotionally distraught, we have trouble making decisions. And usually there are a lot of decisions to make. I know in our case, we needed an attorney. We needed to figure out if we were going to try to move to Florida to be closer to Jason. I mean, those are major decisions because of the amount of money and time and uh, personal energy and and emotions that are involved in them. And uh, we really initially got this advice from a man by the name of Claire DeGraff. He says this, that when you don't know what to do, just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus wants you to do and commit to it immediately in the next 10 seconds before you change your mind. And, Georgine, sometimes I think we forget that when we are in a Christian marriage where uh, both parties in that marriage 
are in a, a relationship with Christ, that means the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He is our teacher. He is our guide. He is our comforter. Uh, he's our, our wisdom giver. And so we sometimes forget that if we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. And often he's already nudging us in the direction of making the next right choice. So rather than spending three weeks with the pros and the cons and agonizing and and going on and on over a decision, think about what what do you think Jesus would do if he were in this very situation? And then ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you and make that choice quickly rather than waiting too long. And sometimes when we, we drag our feet, it just takes forever. It makes us more upset. And then move in the direction that you sense God leading you in, and that is extremely helpful for couples if they can commit to doing that as quickly as possible. In Staying Power, you write about um, anger and actually list several positive uses for anger. Anger has the potential to destroy or disrupt, but there's another side to it. Talk about anger in the midst of the challenges that outside tragedy might bring into a marriage. Well, with anger, you it's, it's as if you're that person who says, you know, all my emotions are on the table. This is what upsets me tremendously, and I'm going to get it all out. So as the spouse who is hearing the anger coming from the other party, we can either choose to be offended by that, or we can say, you know what, I'm going to practice active listening, and I'm going to respond to what I hear my spouse saying, and even repeat back to them what I believe they're saying, and uh, often it helps us to understand where they're coming from a whole lot more. And uh, anger means that you're not hiding with thinking things you're not talking about, and uh, that's very beneficial uh, to a marriage. And it also uh, can teach us something about who we are in the middle of realizing, are we going to have empathy for what is causing the anger of our spouse, or are we just going to say, you explode so easily and I'm sick and tired of this and walk out of the room. Now, um, sometimes when there's anger expressed, as uh, a person with my personality, I can go into the silent treatment. Like, okay, you blew up, I am offended, and so I'm just not even going to respond to anything you ask or say. And, uh, Georgine, I'll be real frank here and ask you a bold question. Have mm-hmm. you ever been not speaking to your husband so long you forgot why you weren't speaking? <laughs> it was just the point that mattered. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I was going to say, you're probably much more perfect than I am. Oh, no. <laughs> there have been days when I think, Carol, this is so ridiculous. Yes. You, you're, it's just like you're trying to make a point and you don't even remember what the point was. <laughs> And so one of the things that helped Jean and me is that uh, after Jason was arrested and we had moved to Florida, we started to walk together. And uh, so our goal on any at-home day is to walk three or four miles together. It takes us about an hour. And we had started making those what we call prayer walks. And obviously we'll chit-chat about what's going on in our day But then we will start to pray, and I might say, Lord, thank you for the beauty of your creation right now. As I look at the sky and I see the clouds, 
thank you for, for this beautiful world you made. And Jean might say, Lord, would you just bless Jason as he's in the maximum security prison right now? Would you give him a divine encounter with one of the inmates or one of the volunteers or corrections officers today? And I might say, Lord, would you bless Jean's 91-year-old mama who's feeling lonely and afraid right now? And we'll go back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. Now, people observing us might think we look a little crazy, but we are talking to God, but we're also listening to each other. And when you hear what your spouse is praying about, you know what matters to them. You know what they're feeling angry about or what they're struggling with. And we have discovered over these now at least three to four years that we have been doing this that it has bonded us as a couple It has helped us grow closer to God because we're talking to him together, and it has created the springboard for some very productive discussions about making the next right choice that we've been talking about in this book. So it really comes down to uh, allowing that communication and even anger expressed to be a catalyst for talking to each other about the things that matter to us and then making choices about how we can come closer together instead of allowing anger to pull us apart. Yeah. Now, we have about three minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about forgiveness, which you describe as the glue that holds a lot of marriages together, and uh, your encouragement that, that couples take time out when they're going through a crisis. Can you speak to each of those Oh, absolutely. One of the things that that is important is to keep short accounts. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we don't allow the sun to go down on uh, our feelings of anger, it's so important. We need to apologize and talk about what happened and give forgiveness quickly to our partners. And what Jean and I are focused on right now is to come to a place of being what we call unoffendable. Meaning, Mm. once again, getting back to we're in this together, that we love each other and we know when we raise our voices, it isn't because we hate that person or we just can't stand being in the same room together. It's that we're upset about something. And so I'm going to choose to not let his uh, loud tone of voice offend me. I will choose to practice automatic forgiveness and to say, honey, I know you love me and I know you and we may disagree about this, but let's talk about it and let's pray about it together. One of the things we've done in this book, uh, Georgine, is that there are 13 crisis help sheets in the back of the book, Yes, about 13 major things that hit a fairly good marriage that are, are practically sucking the life out of you if you allow that to happen. And we wanted people to have hands-on help when they need it, websites to go to, uh, books to go to, questions answered. And so we trust that that will be one of the most important parts of this book for every couple who studies it together and uses it as a resource. But as we think of forgiveness, we think of Jesus and all he did for us on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them to those who had placed him there. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And he practiced forgiveness. And we can look to him and find the strength that we need to look our spouses in the face and say, you, you really did hurt my feelings, but I love you, 
and I forgive you, and I'm sticking with you because we need each other, and we need the Lord, and we are not going to let anything that comes into our lives unexpectedly tear us apart. We belong to each other, and we belong to Jesus. Mm. There's so much more in the book that we won't have time to uh, to cover, but I want to let our listeners know that there are also discussion questions after each chapter. That's very uh, helpful. It's a practical book that is, you're not just going to be better informed, but you'll have tools to help you uh, gain that staying power. Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worth. Carol Kent, it's always a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Georgine. God bless you. God bless you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show, and I want to let you know about some resources that are available that KPDQ can help you with as we enter into the weekend. Maybe you're looking for a resource to just help you feel better through all of this, the fears and anxieties that are not uncommon during this kind of a, a, a pandemic that's worldwide. Also, this weekend, if you're looking for a church in which to worship, or with which to worship, uh, we have a resource for that as well. First, I want to let you know that New Life Live is providing a practical um, way to deal with and overcome your fears of anxiety. That You can download 10 Ways to Overcome Your Fears and Anxiety. It's free from Stephen Arterburn at New Life Live. You can go to kpdq.com or our mobile app and enter the keyword overcome. That's kpdq.com. Look for the keyword overcome on the mobile app or kpdq.com, and you'll find the download, 10 Ways to Overcome Your Fears and Anxiety. So I want to make sure you take advantage of that. And of course, this weekend, uh, like last weekend, although it was Easter Sunday and maybe we were more motivated, we have opportunities to be in fellowship via technology, uh, to worship with other believers from our remote locations, and KPDQ has made that easier for you to, uh, uh, to do. Uh, if you don't know where to go, maybe you don't have a home church, you're looking for a place to worship, or maybe you'd like to uh, worship in more than one location. Uh, we have a church service live streams um, in response to this, uh, the cancellation of churches all across our uh, communities uh, due to the pandemic. We've created a new church service live streaming page at kpdq.com, the broadcasts of local church services. Uh, you'll be able to dive into God's Word to worship from home with local live streams and other believers from their remote locations. Just visit kpdq.com and go to Community Events. You'll find a list of local churches with links to their broadcasts. Again, kpdq.com, Community Events. Also, in response to the current health uh, crisis, Pastor Scott Gilchrist of Downtown Bible Class invites you to attend Southwest Bible Live that's Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on True Talk 800. You just turn on your AM dial and your radio, and you can listen to Southwest Bible Live. Even if we can't uh, meet at church in person, we can still worship and study God's Word together. So you can listen at 10 a.m. Sunday morning on True Talk 800, our app, or online at truetalk800.com, or watch the live stream video of southwestbible.org for Southwest Bible Live. So I'm just excited that we have opportunity to fellowship with other believers from our remote locations, and uh, that gives us an opportunity to uh, to worship together as the body. Also, want to encourage you to check out the Life Inspired podcast with the uh, women of 104.1 The Fish and KPDQ. 
Me, Kat Taylor, Summer Shore, Crystal Thornton, we share honest, upbeat conversations about life, faith, family, and friendship. In fact, we just did our latest uh, podcast uh, earlier this morning, and I had an opportunity um, via Zoom to talk with uh, Kat Taylor and Crystal Thornton, both from The Fish, uh, just talking about how we're navigating uh, this new normal and some of the things that we found helpful. You can listen uh, at kpdq.com, iTunes, or Google Play. Um, you can join the conversation on Instagram at Life Inspired Podcast and let us know how you relate. So check that out as well. Well, I wanted to end um, today's program um, with some suggestions, some areas that we might pray together for our community. I've made reference to them once before, but I think they bear repeating. Uh, as all of us are attempting to do what's right, not only for ourselves and for our families, but to think of the broader community, um, a willingness to make sacrifices, personal sacrifices, in order that our neighbors' needs might be met. I know I was at the grocery store just yesterday, and there were items that, oh, I just, I've been waiting for, and the temptation was to grab, you know, to hoard them. I'm going to get 12 of those because I don't know when they're going to be here again. Instead, just grabbing what I need for now. Because my neighbor, who may come after me, uh, is going to need that very same thing. Just being willing, and that's a feeble example, but just being willing to make sacrifices for the sake of our neighbors. Making sure that we do remain, maintain that self-distancing in order that if I'm a carrier of COVID-19 and I'm asymptomatic, that I don't endanger someone else, that I don't bring, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm distancing myself from others who may be carriers and I don't bring that home. So it's an opportunity for us to exercise patience, um, to put others ahead of ourselves, uh, to experience self-sacrifice. It may be imposed, but there are decisions that we have to make in order to live that out in a way that I think is, uh, is honoring to God. So it's a season of uh, challenge, but I think we can all uh, do it in a way that's Christ-honoring and extends love to our neighbors. And one of the things that we can do is to pray for those around us, some who are serving, some who are struggling, some who have experienced great loss. So I want to just share with you some of the things that um, we might pray for, not to suggest that you don't already know how to pray, but just some of the things we might remember in our times of prayer. We need to pray for the church. Uh, some are struggling with their faith in the midst of this global suffering. And for those who are struggling, we can pray that God, um, we believe in your willingness to heal and your power to do so, help our unbelief. And I'm so grateful that we don't have to pretend when we approach the throne of grace. We can speak honestly and openly. God knows our hearts. And so if we are struggling, we can go before him and God hears us. For those who have turned to faith in Jesus for the very first time during this pandemic, we can pray, God, help our new brothers and sisters grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is easy for us to press into him, or we're more likely, or we're more aware of the fact of our need for a Savior during difficult times, but we're also prone to drift when circumstances change. So I pray that the early days of those who have come to faith in Christ, just recently, that they would grow in their faith and they would put down solid roots. For those who don't know Jesus, but find their hearts stirred by spiritual curiosities and eternal longings, that, uh, that God in his kindness would lead many to repentance and obedient faith in his Son. Uh, what a tremendous opportunity that God has given to all of us to come before him with those curiosities and to find answers. 
and for first responders and frontline healthcare workers, especially in um, epicenters of infection, uh, that we pray that God would reinforce their ranks, strengthen them with supernatural energy, provide the resource they need for protection, but that they would, in the midst of this very challenging and dangerous season for them, that they would look up and find help and hope in God. We need to pray for companies with the ability and the mandate to manufacture much-needed protective um, equipment for our frontline healthcare workers, praying that God would establish the work of their hands so that they would be productive, it would be cost-effective, and that what they provide would be useful. To pray for transit workers, for police officers and other public servants working tirelessly, often without adequate protection, we pray that God would give them stamina every day and keep them from falling ill. I saw an image of a TriMet bus driver who had literally taken a shower curtain and sort of enclosed themselves within that area. Well, TriMet said, you got to take that down. There's genuine concern and fear of being exposed to the uh, to the virus and not necessarily for oneself alone, but for others with whom you come in contact with when you go back home at the end of the workday. So we can pray for those. We need to pray for nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, and other long-term care facilities. Um, we need to pray that God would encourage the lonely residents who cannot be visited face-to-face by their family members and those who care for them, that they would be uh, met by uh, fellowship in, in the spirit and that the those who are caring for them would somehow be able to minister uh, grace to them, that the staff members who help them would be strengthened as well to prevent the further spread of the infection and comfort families who can no longer visit their loved ones, that God would give them creativity in how they might do that. Pray for the incarcerated who are particularly vulnerable in the spread of the virus, for women and children in abusive situations, that God would restrain those who commit harm, provide protection and rescue for victims and comfort them in their vulnerability, to pray for countries in the developing world, that God would contain the spread of the infection in our world's most densely populated and poorest cities and spare countries already burdened with disease and chronic uh, poor health. We need to pray for Asian Americans and uh, Africans in China, uh, Asian Americans in the United States, Africans and in China, and other people who are uh, around the world who are subjected to COVID-related racism, that God would confront this evil. And we need to pray for everyone anxious about the economic future. We're seeing that rise up all around us in the country, that God would provide and give us uh, peace and patience to do what's right. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. It's a, it's a joy to hang out with you. I hope you have a great weekend, that you observe all the things that would protect you and others, and that you'll join us, us here um, on Monday for the Georgine Rice Show. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.